Welcome to the Gooners Podcast, Season 7, Episode 2. What a day in the Nations League. England nil, Hungary 4 at home. Is Southgate out? But not to be topped by that. A little something for our special guest today. I mean, at least England are in the World Cup. Italy 1, Germany 5. Mancini e un falamento? It's the Gooners Podcast. Once upon a time, way back when there were only 9,000 Arsenal podcasts, Five young men from various backgrounds. An Irish kid with a horrible haircut. A young Jewish nerd who hadn't discovered food yet. A child from Hemel Hempstead who didn't want to be English no more. A handsome advertising magnate with impeccable judgment. And a young Mexican AC Milan fan. Hatched a plan to take over the world of Arsenal podcasts. But then these boys became men. Jared, Mikey, Ewan, Magic, and Andy. And the rest, my friends, is history. And now, all these years later, you tune in every so often to hear their incredible takes, their football knowledge, and their sensual advice. But now... It's gone too far. You, our fans, are at long last witness to season... Seven. 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 Welcome to the Gooners Pod. <laughs> are you still with us? <laughs> I am impressed. Such words of creativity. I, I the 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 part that I love, and I've said this before. The part I love about when when we have a new intro video is that I can see all the little thumbnails of everybody that's in the show watching it. And you know, Andy, I, he's already seen it. But Gab, I mean, like like I think you went from amused to to bored to mortified. <laughs> I I was not bored. I was just like, whoa. Like, I I went from bored to angry. <laughs> well. Welcome back. Uh, you know, I don't know what's more impressive, uh, me getting in touch with Gab uh, and 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 actually nailing him down to come on a pod with us again, or Andy coming on the podcast two days in a row. I mean, they're, they're, you guys are equally hard to get, um, but uh, but Andy, good to see you with a slightly less red face today. Well, and, the, and I figured out how to get the camera zoomed out. Um, <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, we were, you, you know that we just wanted to see your your, your pearly whites. But Gab, it's you great know, to have you back um, for your seasonal <laughs> visit. Um, I miss you, man. It's been a long time. I know, I know. I'm, I'm sorry we couldn't connect when uh, when you were here. Uh, unfortunately, the day job tends to uh, get in the way, and this season is interminable. But um, it's just about over. It's almost summer. Yeah, summer. Um, everything happens in the summer. But yeah, I've been to uh, England 47 times, I think, since the last time uh, that, that we saw you with, with each of my 45 kids and then alone once at a time. Um, but uh, welcome back. Um, you know, I wasn't really going to focus on the Nations League too much, but I mean, how do you go from European finalists to just the bottom of the of the group whatever it is and the whatever competition it is i mean it, it is is international football in june that isn't world cup that's at the, the end of a premier league season just dumb at this point or should we be reading into these results 
I don't think it's dumb. I, I personally, I like the Nations League concept. Um, let's always remember what what this replaced, right? This replaced those those weirdo friendlies with like 15 substitutions at halftime and so on. And, um, and I think in previous years, in the first editions, you know, you had you had good attendances, you had good TV ratings. I think I, I like the fact that you know teams play other teams of supposed equal level. I, I remember I, I spoke to a guy I know who is in the coaching staff uh, for Malta. And they love the Champions League because they said, you know, when we play in European qualifiers and World Cup qualifiers, we don't coach. We don't do anything tactically in terms of attacking. We don't do anything with the ball. All we do is practice defensive movements because we know that, you know, for us, like a nil-nil against Slovakia is like winning our World Cup. Um, you know, here they can actually play other teams at the same level. The games are competitive. Now, all that said, this season – with the COVID screwiness that's going on, with the fact that, you know, everything's compressed and that we'll be starting again, what is it? What is it, like August 7th, uh, the Premier League? Yeah, 6th, I think. Um, you know, and, and the, the Winter World Cup and all this stuff, yeah, inevitably this is not going to be um, a priority. You saw, you know, a lot of teams, they either rotated a lot or they, uh, like Spain did, or they played, a ton of kids like like Italy did um, or they were just bad like France has been um, and England too even with the rotations you know something's got to give and this gave but nature's itself not a bad thing you gotta you gotta you learn to love it in normal circumstances don't get yeah. Don't get me wrong. I, I I was referring to specifically the Nations League right now in this circumstance because I mean I, the, the Nations League makes a lot more sense than pure friendlies for for no reason. I mean you can get rivalries yeah, like, going. Honestly, this specific Champions League, as an Italy Nations fan, League. I mean Nations League side, seeing like we have this guy Nyonto. Now I'm gonna guess that nobody knew who the heck this guy was. I don't know if you've seen him. Right. He's I still don't know who it is. All right. Eighteen years old. He played for um, for Zurich in the Swiss top flight last season. Mancini brought him along to train with the national team. Eventually said, "Ah, screw it. Why don't you go and play?" He's he's like really he's short and really stocky, and he's always smiling. And when he gets the ball, he takes on opponents. He wants to be there. He's excited to be there. That kind of gives the whole thing a lift. Now, like me, obviously with Italy, the pressure's off because we have the luxury. By deciding to go and let give somebody else a chance to win a World Cup, because we got four of them at home, for the second straight World Cup, I might add, there's no pressure. None of these guys are playing for paid places. And so, other than tonight, it was, a whole, it was a, obviously a horror show. And they were actually fun to watch and, and exciting. Um, I liked it. I think it's going to be different for England, because you've got people out there who who feel the pressure. They're playing for places. you got others who who know they're going to be there. And so maybe just want to avoid injury, just want to get to their holidays. So it's they're, a sharpening guys. the knives already. I know the Gareth Southgate thing is already already on its way. And <laughs> All right. is it coming home or, or I mean, do you read into this? Is it coming home? Is it not coming no, home? No, I, I don't. I, you know how much I love England. I have not watched so much that you left these, when you were eight. But. <laughs> yeah, twelve. I have not watched a single one of these matches, just mostly because I don't know what the fuck FUBO is and how to get that food <laughs> service. And, um, I signed but, up for two different trials to get these matches in. But. 
Oh, I should have just done that. No, like, you know, Gab said, you know, it, it's a, uh, it's, it's, you see rotation, you're seeing players like that don't usually feature like Gallagher. I think this is what first start for England, but I look at the, I just looked at the tables and the, like you could argue the top two teams in the world right now are France and England. And they're both sitting bottom of their groups with two points because the players don't give a shit. Their yeah, whole, their whole the Carabao right cup now is, right now. Of, yeah, uh, don't of, get of hurt. European like I get to go golf next week tomorrow. Like just don't get hurt. As Gab said, the season starts so soon. They're going to be back into what um, preseason three or four weeks from now. Yeah, I think so, preseason starts in two weeks for for yeah, I, I love the idea of it. I think it's phenomenal for the smaller teams, for the smaller countries. I think the, the there there's way more competition than what we've seen in the past. But for the larger teams, I think it's more of a rotation, get players moving. And and hope they don't get hurt. But no, who gives? Like you know, England and France are both not worrying about this come tomorrow. Well, I don't know that in England's case they're not worried about. It. I think they just really kind of shat the bed for three consecutive games. But in any case, um, we have to get to the obligatory portion of, of any podcast we have with Gab, where where we mention that 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 of all the three hundred some odd people that have appeared on this podcast, both hosts and guests. Um, you've known me the longer than anyone else that has ever appeared on this podcast because I have not had my mother on the podcast yet. <laughs> uh, that's right. We go back many, many years, and and again, I'm sure nobody will believe me, but uh, oh, you don't have to see. You're not contractually obligated to talk about this every single time. Although, I, I, then why did you tell him before the intro started? Make sure you bring up. <laughs> oh, there you go. What a coincidence here, huh? Uh, you know, I, I just happen to have this lying around, um, and I've blacked out other people for their for their uh, uh, for their you know their safety and the and 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 I wanted to tell you because he's he's actually in the chat. I was going to mention this whether he was in the chat or not. But do you? Uh, he was a year below us. But do you remember Jeff Welsh? Um, uh, he was I'm class of sure. he was class of ninety two. We were class of ninety one. Right. Um, and uh, he's a guy who was kind of in our in my social circles. Uh, we we hung out. We had kind of a posse, and uh, which you know sounds so, kind of yeah, ridiculous. So he can but... Testify to the fact that I'm not making it up. When I thought, of course, we were both somewhat more svelte than we are now. But he was on the wrestling. He was on the wrestling team with me. All right, so he was badass. But no, but Mike was a really really pacey forward. I mean, he was actually – he had wheels. He didn't necessarily they broke, have finishing. I uh, see, um, I always disagree with you about this. but but, but I think like, he still has the wheels now. I, I saw some guy take his hot dog at a game once. And I mean, he fucking <laughs> flew after that guy. You jackass. But, yeah, so, so, um, so I actually reunited with Jeff because Jeff lives about 45 minutes from me. We reunited. We went to the pub. We watched because uh, he happens to be like you, Gab, a, uh, a Chelsea supporter, which you know I always thought was weird based on the fact that when we all lived there, Dandy, did you know that I lived in London? Did I ever tell you? Um, You've never mentioned it. What when, when when we lived there, Chelsea were just kind of a small team playing in the you know in the outskirts of Fulham. Uh, but I know that there, there's family things involved with his Chelsea fandom um, in his wife's family. But so we reunited. Kind of caught up on what thirty five years of, uh, of, or yeah, about 30, 35 years of of, of time, and um, and and he was headed that night. Interestingly enough, talk about all the worlds colliding and 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 meeting into one. He was headed that night to Charlestown, West Virginia, 
to go to a show at the casino's auditorium or whatever of someone else that we went to high school with. <laughs> and, uh, <Really? laughs> and and this this is Jeff and and uh, Stephen Glover who goes by some other name now. Um, and uh, and yeah, they uh, they were able to reunite. Uh, they were actually good friends in high school. They kept in touch for a while afterwards before Steve's career blew up and, and he became the most famous ASLer of all time, uh, at least from our class. And uh, yeah. and they met up they met up before and after and and, uh, and and so I he sent me this picture and I thought it was hilarious. And you know, the one thing he told me about about Steve because I'm like, you know, once you kind of get back in with him, tell him that you know we do a podcast. And apparently, like they had five minutes together, and in those five minutes, he was like, "Yeah, I hate when people ask me to go on their podcast." <laughs> so that won't be happening. Um, but so yeah, Jeff uh, has been saying hi, and I was saving his comments to to, to bring it up, and now I can't find any of them. But uh, oh yeah, he hasn't been invited onto the podcast yet. And uh, so yeah, so anyway, Jeff says hi as well. Jeff will be sad to learn that um, our school no longer has a wrestling team. Oh. Apparently, we've 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 gone soft. We've, we've had I don't it. know that they actually had one when we were there. You think you're just like rolling around on the mat with other that, guys? I, I think I think yeah. uh, what was what was the coach's name again? Like I want to say Coach Mustafi, but that but that's only because I'm thinking <laughs> of Shkodor Mustafi. But like I, I think maybe yeah, he just wanted to roll around on the on the on the ground with some kids, and <laughs> uh, and and you know these comp these competitions that we were part of. I think were just <laughs> elab hey. elaborate ruses, but hey. but uh, but yeah, he's 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 not happy about that. So all right. We've been dealing today with Basumagate here in Arsenal World. <laughs> Coach Randolphy. That's I I knew it was something like that. Um sorry, Coach Randolphy, if you're if you're up there, if you're listening somewhere. Basumagate has just consumed Arsenal. I'm sure you haven't even heard yet, Andy, because Andy's Andy's above the fray when it comes to uh to social media and and, and controversies, but people are going absolutely nuts that Spurs have apparently signed. The person who, I guess, if you listen to Twitter, is the the most suitable Arsenal player of all time, despite facing, you know, charges for one of the most horrible crimes that's out there. Um, whether he's guilty or not, we don't know. But what do you make of this transfer? Is it as done as they say that it's done? Is and 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 is the is the kind of the assumption that everyone's making that Tottenham have done their due diligence and they know that this isn't going to turn into a legal problem. Is there any basis to, to believe that? Um, I don't, I don't know. Um, I, I think it's one of those things where, you know, Brighton, uh, where, sorry, where Basuma, you know, there, there is a, there, there's a fixed fee for him. Um, I think they were pretty clear about their valuation. So it's one of those things where you get a deal in principle with the player and his agent, and then you go knocking at the club's door. Um, and I think, I think the deal is in place on principle with the player. Then of course you got to work with the club. And I think that might not be quite as, um, as straightforward. But as far as the, I mean, would would the club have? I mean, he's he's obviously in um, in. A, I mean, maybe you can't comment on this, and and you're and you're you're answering the question a specific way because of that. If that's the case, blink at me ninety four times. Uh, 
and I could move on to another subject. But you would just—it it seems like a big risk to sign a guy like that right now, and a big reward if you can sign a guy like that and actually have him available to you for years for twenty-five million pounds. Um, um, no, I—I I think it's obviously you have to. You have to take legal advice. I'm, I'm okay. I, I, I can do this. I think I'm covered by, you know how like, there's that Icelandic player who. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. From Everton. Everton. We can never mention his name ever again. We have to pretend he doesn't exist. Um, it's one of those weird, I'm, okay, should point out. I'm not a lawyer. I don't like lawyers in general. Neither of you guys are lawyers, right? You're going to get sued no. for that. What? For it's, yeah. Um. To take myself off camera, so when Gab uh, says something really inappropriate, I'm I can't be brought up in trial. <laughs> something inappropriate. Just, just, so so when this clip goes on, uh, like, yeah. yeah, when this yeah. clip's on CNN. <laughs> no, but like so and so can't be named for legal reasons, but you know, oh look, that, just say allegedly like, after. No, no, but what what I don't I like it's just like a different approach, right? In different countries. Um, and you're so limited and you don't, you know, it could affect the legal case against them. So like, I'm not going to go there with any of these, with any of these people, but you know, it's a sad thing. We've had three major cases in the Premier League in, in the last 12 months. Right. Um, I, can I, I don't know, you mean name the club. So name the city. Right. Know. Well, the city. So those guys live in the Manchester area. Right. Um, and this is serious. It's serious stuff. So I think the risks are very much there. The risks of, of a long case, even if somebody's, you know, you would go through how likely is it that there's going to be formal charges dropped, uh, formal charges brought. And then you look into, because that alone, if you have to fight a case, even if you're 100% convinced that the person's innocent, even if you're convinced that they can prove that they're innocent, you know, it's going to be, I don't want to use the word distraction because it minimizes it. But even if you're 100% sure that, that there's nothing there, it's still something that's going to take time and energy. And then on top of it, you know, unfortunately, we've had situations in the past where, where, where unfortunately, stuff has turned out to be true. So I, I, I think, you know, you always have to put the victims first. And, yeah, you got to be darn sure before you move on this. And I think this is part of the reason why, you know, I think there have been rumors for a while, and I think this is perhaps part of the reason why he didn't move in January when he was linked to a number of clubs. Yeah, and and I I would think personally, as much as I like the player's profile, and you know, uh, you know, Arsenal clearly think that they have enough depth. They look at him as someone that would have been a backup for Partey, not a not a partner for him, and I think they want Sambi to grow into that role. So I think I you know I don't know that Arsenal were ever truly interested, but it did seem like a really ideal fit if not for all the stuff hanging over him. And I just, you know, our Arsenal's had some shady characters on in the past, but it's not really our, our, our MO to, to deal in, in risky situations like that. And I, I can understand why we would have taken a pass on him. The fact that he's going to the lot across, up the road and potentially could be going at a, at a, what would be considered a bargain rate, assuming uh, or bisuming that nothing is wrong um, then, you know, then that's getting people up in arms. But I just, you know, I don't buy that they've, you know, they wouldn't have signed him if they didn't know that everything was okay. How, how could they know that everything's going to be okay there? And that's just, I guess, the, the differentiation. They're taking a flyer and a moral risk 
whereas uh, Arsenal aren't. So I guess that it, it, well, that, before all that, Mike. Regardless if it's the moral part, Arsenal clearly aren't interested in him because we've not pulled the trigger. I mean, if yeah. they if they were, we would have been interested in him last summer. You well, know, he I mean, was interested was a, in us. We know that exactly. Yeah. So you know, I agree with you. I think we have. Uh, Sambi in that role. You've got Partey in that role. El Nini jumped in and had some decent matches. We're kind of weaker on the the Jaka competition and backup, depending on you know. So I think Tielemans is probably our uh, ideal candidate for that. Plus, you know, if you look at the grander picture, like you've also got Lucas Torreira that isn't off the books yet. So yeah. if you look at four defensive midfielders, why add a fifth? Because Lucas could very much come back. I mean, he kind of made a statement, you know, when that joke came out about Martinelli getting his number, like, well, what, what number am I going to be? I don't know why, but. Oh, he doesn't want to be here. He just No, he, no, he doesn't. Could. But until you move him off the books, you're not buying another defensive midfielder. You have to look elsewhere. Right. Right. Yeah, no, that's true. Can I ask you guys a question as you mentioned on Lenny? This is something I've just been fascinated with. And the needle jewels um, over Don't this. give the normal answer, Andy. No, no. Okay. El Nenny had a really strong end to the season, right? Eddie and Ketia had a very strong end to the season, right? Now, I, I really like Arteta. But I don't understand. You see these dudes every day. You train with them, Right. How does it work that, like, you send them away or you don't play them, you don't really care about them, they're squad players, their contracts are expiring, they weren't going to get a new one, and then all of a sudden, due to injury, you play them and you say, hey, these guys are really good, they can contribute. <laughs> like, I wonder, how does that, and it's not just on Arteta, by the way, like, even when Elneny was alone, like, they have scouts, they have experts, they have people who track all these guys, they have data scientists, they've got sports scientists. Like, I don't, how does that I don't know that that's completely the case, though, because he's had Arteta's been a a, a Niketia stand for a long. I, you can't use the word stand around Arsenal, though. Um, he, he's been a Niketia supporter and an advocate for a long, long time. That doesn't mean that he was pushing him in when he when he was playing Abba and when Lacazette was not quite as off form as he ended up being. But um, you know, but but he did always consider him a little more highly than I think a lot of us considered him. I think Arsenal fans started to come around a little bit on Niketia, just a little bit at the end. Scoring two goals against Chelsea doesn't hurt. Um, sorry. But what, what I can't work out, right, is I always think it's a sign of intelligence and humility to revise your opinions of somebody. Right? So that's that's good. But on the other hand, I take your point on Niketia, but equally, this guy wasn't getting a new deal. It wasn't offered a new deal until he played regularly and showed that he could do it. I mean, they knew his contract was winding down. You knew you had a young asset, a young striker, and yet I mean, you know better than I was. But I thought I I think they were trying to tie him down. I I just think that the even a year ago. Yeah, yeah, I think so because there was this whole thing about him and Balogun having the same um, the same agent. I could be wrong on that. It just it just seems strange to me. Well, yeah, I'm on the inside of of, of football. I. You know, I I, I, know I thought the, the so you know I would take. What I thought I with Eddie specifically, like he wanted reass. Like I I thought a while ago, like the the news was like he wanted to sign. There were reassure. He just wanted reassurances that he would be within conversation for the starting eleven. And then he got thrown in. And I think that kind of. I'm sure his agent said to him, "Yo, 
pause for a moment because there could be other offers coming our way. Um, yeah, he wants to be he wants to be a hundred grand a week player who's regularly in the starting eleven of a Premier League club, a la Crystal Palace or something. Although he didn't apparently agree to go there, uh, you know, I don't I don't know what he wants, but I, I you can't help but think that that his presence, especially if we end up giving him a bumper pay packet, is. Uh, is not a good sign when it comes to the concept of assigning two fresh, new, big attacking players. So, um, you know, I think we've learned from Joe Willock uh, at last season and a couple other examples that, you know, just having a little bit of a purple patch uh, at the end of the season is not necessarily a reason to go crazy and, and re-sign a guy. I mean, think of what happened with Abba. Think of what happened with Ozil. Think about what happened with Theo Walcott, for God's sakes. Yeah, um, you know. I mean, hey, Jaw Red Carvier, uh, new listener to the pod, says, "Had we loaned a player in Jan, who would have came in the last bit of the season and scored five and eight, fans would be going crazy at the thought of not signing him permanently." And Mikey capitalized not here, so that's really important. I don't know if you knew that. Uh, bit of a that's an interesting. I, I think I might start doing that myself. Yeah. So hey, uh, Jaw Red, if if you want to, you know, come on again or as a guest. That'd be great. It's a good. It's around. a. It's a good. It's actually a good comment though, because imagine. No, it is a good comment. And, imagine uh, bringing somebody just on. Got married, um, so everyone wish him congrats in the in the comments. Yes, Jared just got married, and he's already had. He, he already has three kids. That's why um, he's never on our podcast anymore. So I want. I wanted to. I wanted to ask you, Gab, because of your Chelsea fandom and 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 connections. I mean, I I've been. I've been drowning in spreadsheets trying to avoid actually dealing with Arsenal's capitulation at the end of the season. And I like to dig into the finances of football. And one of my long running financial just, you know, obsessions is what happens to Chelsea when Roman Abramovich leaves. And I mean, like two years ago, I was thinking in terms of this, I didn't, wasn't thinking in terms of him leaving under the circumstances that he did. But just thinking in terms of you know the, the the loan, the not owning the stadium, the the way that their cash flows work, their dependence on Europe, uh, if they didn't have Roman's money, and thinking you know there's some trouble ahead for this club if Roman ever decided to check out. Now with the way that happened and the new ownership group with the with the Dodgers owner Todd Bowley who spends more in luxury taxes than any other Major League Baseball owner, but but luxury taxes are different than a salary cap. What do you foresee for this club? And what can you tell to Arsenal fans to make us feel better about, about the future, about Chelsea slipping down to League One? Um, yeah, I don't think Chelsea's slipping to League, League One. but And I don't want to make the – I'm sure nobody wants, like, one of the tournament one of those boring financial um, – so, sort of football financial uh, – yeah, But you're informed like, enough to know, to know what's going to happen. Like – People are a lot smarter than I am and who go more forensically over the books. They tell you that, you know, Chelsea were worth no more than one and a half billion. I I genuinely don't know how people reach this, whether traditional kind of financial standards apply. Um, you know, AC Milan, AC Milan was just sold for 1.2 billion, 1.3 billion. Yeah, one of the guys we podcast with bought them. Sorry, uh, one of the guys we podcast with, Mike Hers, uh, AC Milan, the, the the young Mexican AC Milan fan from the intro, he bought them. He, he bought uh, the yeah. club. Yeah, yeah, with the podcast money from our eighteen listeners. <laughs> yeah, 
But I don't know, but I mean, this is a club, right? From a league with, with a much smaller TV contract, a club that's behind in, you know, they won the league this year, but they're behind in terms of development. This is a club that they do not, you know, Chelsea own their own stadium, just don't own the land under the stadium. Oh, um, yeah, I actually didn't realize that. But, you know, they have to, they don't, they don't, they have to build a stadium. And yet they go for that much money. So I don't know. I think a lot of these valuations are whack. It's funny. Forbes publishes a list of uh, evaluations of like, you know, franchises. I think it's a load of nonsense. You know, years ago, obviously, when Forbes used to be a very serious publication, now the business models changed a little bit. You know, it's a horrible sour grapes in there, I think. Sorry? Do you work for the uh, Washington, uh, for the Wall Street Journal, perhaps? <laughs> uh, no, I, I did write a column for them in the, uh, in the past. But um, so I'm guessing. But if we go out on a limb, I think it's what Bowley figures is Chelsea spent a lot of money in the last two transfer windows, right? Havertz, Lukaku, Werner, Ziyech, all this stuff. If you look before that, they were running a pretty close to break even. If you remember the whole thing with like Chelsea's loan army and stuff, yeah, and yeah. all the young players they produce and then they sell them. Eddie and Ketty, of course, another former Chelsea guy. Um, and so somehow he was making it work. And so this idea, he spent, Abramovich obviously spent a ton of money in the club, but he has, it's, it's all kind of always been in spurts. So I'm guessing Boldy says, all right, we go back to that level of spending. We run at break even. Um, we build a 60,000 seat stadium the way Spurs and Arsenal have done. You know, we're in a nicer part of town. We have fans who are just as rich as Arsenal, richer and richer than Spurs. And we fill it. And that makes up the shortfall. Now, I don't think they're going to be able to spend unless something changes in in the revenue streams. And I don't think they're going, to, they're going to be able to have a lot of summers like the, you know, the the Harvard Ziesch summer, uh, Werner summer. Um, but I think that's the only way I can see him kind of figuring out how to make it work. And then, you know, you're going to operate at a level that Arsenal and Spurs operate with the difference that you're already in the Champions League, with the difference that hopefully you hire smarter guys and so you make money more money than they do, and that's how you complete, compete with United and, and City. I'm guessing this, this is what he's hoping to do. This is this is my – I mean, my view of it is and, – and, you know, again, I like to try to find a way to feel better about all the success that Chelsea's had over the last 20 years and, you know, and, and try to put it into spreadsheeting terms, but – I think what what Todd Bowley has done is he's bought an asset way over market value, and that asset is currently at its absolute peak value that it could possibly be in that they they're getting as much revenue as one, as a team could get from this sport. They just they just in the last year, this year's financials, they'll show the benefits of having won the Champions League the previous year and finishing in the top four in the Premier League and having fans back in the stadium, all of that together. Um, so their income streams are as high as they will ever be. And, you know, and they're riding off of previous success that was gained between 2002 and 2013 before their little stretch of being kind of self-sustaining. Um, so you're and- saying he's a doofus, basically. I, I, I'm just not able to figure out how he's going to continue to keep this club because he's got to keep the club at their current level 
which is which oh. is involving running massive losses because even when they got to the Champions League final, they lost 150, 170 yeah, but, million. But again, it wasn't all COVID. If you look at it at the two years before, they weren't spending that much money. So if you if you look not at, not in transfer fees, but in wages they were. And and you know, in, I'm talking I'm talking about you know their their financials. If you go back season by season, I think they made a profit in four of the previous nine seasons. Um, before, you know, pre-COVID. And it's not like they lost all the money because of COVID. They lost the money because they spent a ton of money. Well, and that, and that profit is a lagging indicator of all the money that they spent. Of course. Because ultimately I, all that money and all that glory is why their turnovers is high, which is why I, they actually are able to run a profit. My thing I'm going to throw three reasons at you why I think Bowley might say you're wrong. One is... We're having Mike, you on tomorrow. <laughs> Mike, you're ignoring the fact that when I build my brand spanking new, you know, 60,000 seat stadium, my revenues are going to jump. They're going to jump substantially because nobody wants to trek up to White Hart Lane. And I've got all the corporates and stuff like that, because ultimately my stadium is on the border of the Royal Borough of Kensington, Chelsea and Fulham. And there's a lot of rich people who live there. Uh, that's number one. Number two, um, I'm buying a ticket for the Super League lottery, if and when it comes. And maybe it'll maybe it'll happen, maybe it won't happen. If it does happen, then all these franchises are going to double in value. Um, you think that's still going to happen? July 11th. That's when the European Court of Justice are going to give their verdict. Um, I'm sorry, could you it, explain for all of us who don't know what what, what the verdict is? Because I, you know, obviously, I, remember, I know what the Super League is, but like, what yeah. what's going to happen July, July 11th? I, can I give my third reason, which is the other? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Sorry, 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 okay. sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. My bad. Yeah, no, without getting all sort of macroeconomics on you, these are really, really rich people. The stock market's tanking. There's inflation. I have money. I'm sitting on a big pile of cash. Every day it's worth less and less. I can't buy stocks with it because the stock market goes down and is overvalued. I can't just leave it in cash because inflation erodes it. I'm going to go and buy assets. And whether it's real estate, whether it's boats, whether it's football clubs, you are actually owning something tangible, which maybe it's going to be a very long, long-term thing, but that's not going to be necessarily affected. It's a hedge against inflation. That's kind of how it was explained to me. Um, and remember, it's not just Bully's money. It's Bully and like 20 other billionaires. Right. Everybody chipping in a couple hundred million. You know, it's the equivalent to the three of us having a whip round for something. Mm. So, so, but uh, your question about July 11th. So basically, the three remaining Super League clubs, Real Madrid, Juventus, and Barcelona, they filed a lawsuit, which is going to be heard by the European Court of Justice. And what they argue is essentially UEFA is they're behaving in an anti-competitive way. They're a monopolist, right? So they're saying that's because UEFA are the regulator. They kind of run the football pyramid um, and they have certain responsibilities in terms of collecting money from the Champions League, redistributing it and regulating the game, running the game. But at the same time, they also compete because they organize tournaments. They organize the Champions League, which is very lucrative, and they can end up competing with the clubs in the Champions League for sponsorships and whatever else. So that's the argument they make. If the court finds in their favor, 
there's going to be nothing stopping clubs from saying, well, I don't want to play in the Champions League. I'll still play in the Premier League. I don't want to play in the Champions League. I want to organize my own competition and distribute, you know, sell my own TV rights and distribute those revenues any which way I please. Um, so, so that's basically what they're arguing. I mean, it's, it, it's fascinating to me. My, my, my thought about why I think, I mean, I, I just can't imagine that they're going to, if the, t- it's, if the team drops out of the Champions League, for example, all of a sudden, I think they're going to be running. I mean, even without COVID's impact, they're going to be running eight figure. Is it eight figures? Yeah. Eight figure losses. Um, so I, I think they're just susceptible. The way, the way they rebounded, for example, from the year they finished 10th because of Jose Mourinho players downing tools on him, um, they rebounded and won the league the next year because they basically just threw money and a new coach at the, at the issue, mostly the new coach in that situation. I don't think that they could survive that as easily uh, coming up with, you know, but again, if Todd Bowley's w- willing to lose 100 million pounds a year, uh to to get back in the Champions League, I, I I don't know. You know, again, this is just it's all kind of hypothesizations because we don't know what his intent is, and I don't know where a lot of this four point six billion pounds went either. I mean, a lot of it is presumably going to Ukraine, which is great, um, but it's not four point six billion; it's two point five billion. But isn't there another one point two five or something? That's I guess that's that's. Required it's 1.75, which is pledged to spend over the next 10 years on on infrastructure um, and, and yeah, and presumably a lot of that's going to be the stadium. Some of it might be. Is a big chunk of it? He's going to spend like he said he's going to spend 150 million on the women's team, right? Um, but you know, it's over 10 years. A lot of stuff can happen over 10 years. All right. So what you're saying is they're not going anywhere. I mean, it's a gamble. <laughs> it's a big price, but. You know, in the end, I think the question is, can Chelsea be successful while running it close to break even? I think they can be. I think they've showed that they can be, you know, right up until 2017. We have with Abramovich, look at his spending patterns. Is, you know, he spent a ton of money when he bought the club. And then there was a period when he basically stopped spending big money. And I think that's how they want to run it the way they did in those that period kind of 2012 2011 right up to right up to 2017 2018 i think that's that's the model yeah well and and that model was a change was, was attained but in the previous years which are now baked in and i and and so i i, I don't know it's it's fascinating i'll be interested to watch um you know, I, I know football doesn't want Chelsea to fail, which is the annoying thing because they didn't do anything when when Barry uh, was in trouble. Uh, but uh, so if you have any user questions for Gab, send them in now. We've got probably about another five minutes or so to go. I wanted to bring up uh, um, the uh, the Gab and Jules show. Um, I actually finally had the opportunity to uh, to meet Jules. So talk about your worlds colliding even more. Um at the Union Chapel for a recent uh, live podcast show with with Ars Blog and Arsenal Vision, which was a fantastic evening. Um, and uh, he said he would join us on the podcast sometime soon, which would be good. I'd love to have the two of you on together. But, um, you know, is it stealing one of our guests when you have Stuart Robson on all the time, but you're the person who introduced it to us in the first place? Yeah. Uh, Andy considers that that theft. 
of intellectual no, I, property. Like I, I got you guys, Robo. I got you guys, Jules. What more do you want? Like, you know, you didn't get us, Jules. I've been waiting. I had to go pluck him out of a crowd and say, "Oh, hey, I'm, I'm the guy that no, that, that, that Gabby knows." Um, so by default, Gabby really got Jules. Well, I mean, Gab, Gab, Gabby got me by default everything because you know he, he's into he, he got me into football. He he, uh, mm. he he said nice things about me when I when I was playing football. Um, so. Tell us about. I mean, tell us about the show. It seems it, it, it seems like a very a very casual, relaxed Gabby Marcotti and uh, and some fun banter. Yeah, look, and I, I think we have good chemistry. I, I'm always amazed by Jules's breadth of knowledge. I mean, it's pretty much encyclopedic. He, I don't know when he sleeps because I, I watch a lot of. I get paid to watch football. I watch a ton of games every weekend, and he watches as many as I do. Plus on top of that, he stays up to watch, you know, I watch one NFL team. He watches as many games as he can. Uh, he watches the NBA finals. He's, you know, he's just always at it. Um, but you no, know, he's, he's a pleasure to work with. He's, he's very well connected. And, and I think most of all, like, we both really love what we do. We really enjoy the Gavin Jules podcast. It's twice a week. comes out Monday and Thursday. If you're in the UK, you can watch it on BT Sport. The clips are on YouTube. We've added these longer form uh, podcasts now where we have these sort of longer conversations. Um, we've had Sammy Kadira. We've had Slatan Ibrahimovic as guests. Um, we've had a how, how, how was that? I mean, that, it... it when the camera's off versus the camera's on, is he? Does he? Does he have like a a, a character, or is that just? Li- I mean, it just seems like that's just who he is all the time, right? Well, it's funny because I asked him that, and he said basically like the character only gets switched off when he like enters a doorway to his house into his family. <laughs> Otherwise, because I, I think his wife kind of you know she's a couple years older than he is. I think she kind of like wears the trousers in that family. Um, but outside of it, you know, he is Slata. Um, we have a re- we have a new one coming out soon where um, we had a conversation with a guy. I mean, I don't know what the overlap is with U.S. men's national team fans um, among your listeners, but we had a, a long conversation with Greg Berhalter, who I have to say before, you know, I remember him as a player, um, and I thought, oh, look, you know, Here's another kind of like, you know, college, you know, sort of middle, like sort of middle class, New Jersey, shaven headed USX pro, like nice guy, but not much personality. Instead, it was absolutely fascinating. He's a super bright guy, super interesting. A lot of stuff to say that like he's a big foodie. He, um, I, I love asking this question, especially to every ex pro um, I meet, I ask him, how old were you when you weren't the best player on your team? And, you know, with some of them like Slatan, you know, you'd probably say like never. Um, but, for, you know, for, you, guys, for you, the answer is 17. <laughs> Thank you. But yeah, most guys, like it's usually when they get to be 17, 18, 19, you know, they progress up the pyramid, right? In Greg's case, because he played with Claudio Reyna, like from the age they were like 10 or 12, like that was it. 
right? Did Greg Did play at UVA as well? What's that? Did Greg play at UVA as well under uh, under Bruce? Um, no, he he played it. He went to North Carolina, I think. Okay, yeah, because because I know Claudio played at UVA when I when I was there, so I was like, I don't yeah. remember them playing together then. No, but no, no, I, no. I get what you're saying, like. But um, and actually, so Greg's wife, her roommate is Claudia Reyna's wife, who I'm blanking on her name, but she she played for the U.S. Women's National Team as like 60 caps, which explains why Gio Reyna, he's got really good genes, you know, didn't necessarily work out for Andre Agassi and Steffi Graf's kids, but, you know, he's yeah, got the right We're genes. still waiting on that. We're waiting on that one, yeah. I'm waiting on Mike Tyson's kids. Um, but uh, so, all right. So there, so in the time that we have left, I, I want to do one kind of personal selfish thing. And that's to talk about the, uh, the Gunners versus cancer draw that uh, the, the Jersey that we're, that we have. I don't know if you've seen this uh, probably not, but it's, it's just a really special, unique piece of, of Arsenal memorabilia that was created by four absolute legends of a time in Arsenal's history um and uh and then the other thing and i'll let you start thinking about this while i play this quick video is um the the group of not necessarily the group of death but the group of english uh iran england usa and wales i want your feedback and i'm going to be starting to ask this regularly of people who have kind of american backgrounds or you know and or english who's going to get through that group so uh while you're thinking and pondering that and andy i want you to answer that too uh, if you go to GoonersVCancer.com, you can donate $25, which is equivalent to about 20, 19, 20 quid, um, and have a one in 500 chance of winning this amazing shirt. So, That's really uh, cool. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, the 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 fact, that, and what makes it even cooler is just knowing that Alan Smith was basically our main point of contact to getting that done. He said, "Get me the shirts," and and I love your idea. I kind of gave him a template for what I wanted it to look like, and he he went out and he he got Lukey and he got Lee Dixon to to help out with it, and the and the, really the crown jewel of that, the toughest part of that, was getting Michael Thomas, um, but. That shirt, it's it's a it's a unique it's unique. You can't get it anywhere else. And and all you have to do to win, there's only 500 entries in this contest. Uh, they're they're 25 dollars each. You can buy as many as you want. There's about 130 of them left out of the 500. And once we hit 500, we're drawing a winner. And there'll be one person in the world that has that shirt. So, uh, so that's Gunners v Cancer. Um, Gabby, if you know anyone who. Uh, might be interested in hearing about that that's outside of our circles, please feel free to share that. 
Yeah, fact, please ping me. I'm, I'm very happy to share it on. It would be uh, it'd be much appreciated. Social if, media channels, if, if you would, uh, I I'd appreciate that. And uh, and so shout who, out to Alan Smith, by the way. Really, really like a real class act. He's the nicest person I've ever met in my life. Sorry, the Arsenal one, not the Leeds one. I'm sure the Leeds one's very nice too. But yeah, no, no, that guy. I have no time for that guy. Um, but yeah, no, he he is a gentleman. He's he's helpful. He's kind. He actually he spotted me in the in, in Heathrow Airport when I was coming home this last time and said, "I've just seen you come down the escalator. Where are you at? I'll come over and say hi." And he's like walking around this Weatherspoons in Heathrow Terminal looking for me. Like like, wh- how did I end up in this situation? Um, I do think Andy's got to run. Which is why he's coming coming on and off the screen so much. I don't but, know why he's doing that. I'm not I'm not doing anything. Oh, that's it's, great. I don't know if it's this new laptop or what, but well, figure out your technology. So last last word, Gabby. Who's making it out of that group? Yeah, I find this really hard to call. So and I'm not sitting on the fence here. Like England has to get out of the group. Um I made the point before after the Euros that like in twenty years time, like our press of grandkids might be saying, wait, is it true that, you know, England played a semifinal and a final of a Euro at home and they had Foden and Grealish and Sancho and Rashford and all those guys were on the bench or hardly playing and they didn't get it done. And, you know, you'll be like, yes, it is true. And I think that weighs on him. That said, there's just so much talent there. Um, that I, I refuse to believe England aren't getting out of the group. I mean, later on, he can be negative, he can do whatever. So I think England have one of the spots locked up. With the other three, I, people I are sleeping on Iran. They're not bad. <laughs> no, no. And people are, you know, treating Iran as if they're a bunch of weirdos. But, um, you know, they've, they, they grew under when Carlos Queiroz was there. They did a good job getting kind of, a lot of players from kind of the Iranian diaspora around the world, getting them back, you know, guys from Germany and places like that, bringing them back. Um, I think they're really, really tough out. This U.S. team, I think, will be the youngest team at the World Cup. Um, so I think a lot's going to depend on, you know, what condition are the big pieces going to be when they get there. Um, you know, Pulisic, Reina. Um, you never seem to have all those guys out there at the same time, ever. That's that's the tough one, right? That's a tough choice you have to make. With Wales, it's almost too obvious to say to mention Garrett Bale, um, but obviously you have to mention him. I personally, should Bale not be in form or should Bale not be fit? I don't see Wales getting out of here. So if we got to do percentages. Um, I'm going to say England, 95%, U.S., 45%, um, Iran, 35%, and Wales, 25%. Did I get that right? Did you add- uh, that uh, you know, I, I'm, doing the math. I'm doing the math, and that does equal 200%, which is All right, there you go. exactly what you want there. See, and um, I, think England, I think England walk out. I think it's going to be a breeze. And then I think Wales take second. 
Yeah, I actually think it will be England and Wales as well. But uh, no, I yeah. agree. I gave England ninety five percent. What do you want? That, no, no, no. I just saying that the U.S. Nineteen to one all. I mean, come on, man. Like, Andy, can you not add? Come on, I know your computer's not working, but but I mean, you know. You know, like watching the last probably five or six U.S. matches, they are just so bad, and it's like, like teams play bad, like right, like England today. But as we kind of talked about in the beginning of the show, like different circumstances, this team turns it around and it's it's a completely different. Well, they'll match. have the new coach bump too. <laughs> but with like, but with like the U.S., like just watching these matches, even the matches where they had to win, you're like, this is fucking dire. Like there was nothing where you're like, okay, I can see something that shines here. Um, yeah, I don't know, man. It, it's it's weird. This U.S. team should be a lot better than they are. You know, it's very strange. Yeah, I just, I, I'll say this about the U.S. and I think this is something that one of the things actually we talk about with with Bearhalter. If if you're the U.S. right, you play in Concacaf, and essentially, unless you play Mexico, it's not that everybody else you play is is bad. Although there's obviously a lot of bad teams. You know, Canada are pretty good. It's just you have this big target on your back, and every time you play everybody, they're hyper motivated. A lot of times they'll sit, they'll play on the counter. You have a lot of the ball. And so in that sphere, you get used to playing that way or trying to play that way. They, and try, then to, you they, get, they try to death by a thousand cuts and kick you and kick you like, like, uh, right. But, but then you get to the world cup and you start playing bigger sides, you play England and no matter how negative Southgate may choose to be like the other team's better than you. So then you got to start thinking like a smaller team. You have to start, you know, it's really difficult for you to make that transition. And it's true of, of most of the smaller teams of the world cup. And I think a lot of times, especially the ones outside Europe, a lot of times we don't really appreciate that transition that that club, that, that the teams have to make. And, you know, so then you get there and you either play on the counter the whole time, which is fine, even though it's not what you really need to do to get to a world cup. So I think there's a lot of question marks there. And it's a young team too, you know, want to ask uh, Gabby a question before I got to bounce, Mike. Well, and, um, and that'll be that'll be it for the pod as well. So Okay. So, and he may answer this, he may not. We may be in a Josh Kroenke situation where a lawyer is going to swoop in. Wait, wait is this so, going to happen? Yeah, is Tomego going to get involved in this podcast? The first person I ever heard about Tomego from, um, I won't mention who it was, but. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> that's a little turnaround right there. <laughs> The most recent news came out uh, with this uh, Juventus striker. What's his name again? How do you? How uh, do you Stumaka? It? No, no, no. Um, oh, Vlavic. Vlavic. Yeah. Uh, so there was, I don't know, one or two media personalities in the United Kingdom that were just beating that drum, like Arsenal are in for him, Arsenal are in for him. And then his agent came out and was like, there was never contact with Arsenal and the player. Now, how often are you seeing in your circles where you're like, where the fuck is this news story coming from? Uh, or is it true? Like, and I, you know, I'll call them out. You don't have to, but like you're John cross of the world clickbait merchant. I mean, the guy comes out with the most ridiculous stories, but like how often are you seeing a story where you're like, there's no truth in that. Or are you like on the sideline with like, Oh, there could be, there's just so many variables to, to oh, these I, negotiations. I think, well, the Vavage is a situation one I'm quite familiar with, so I can fill you in on that. More generally, um, 
you can generally tell when a story I, I don't think people necessarily make it up but then you have a lot of times you get stories from intermediaries or people talking about other clubs where you know it's just a throwaway line and people run with it um in the Vlaovich case, what I can tell you, because I have direct knowledge of this, that was a very specific situation. That was a situation where, you know, he he was still in his first contract with Fiorentina. Um, he'd scored a ton of goals, had done really well. And so the club offered him, club offered him a deal, right? And, and a big raise. And he, and depending who you believe, at first he said, yeah, I want to stay, I want to stay. And then he just never extended his contract. So Fiorentina found themselves in a situation where if we don't sell him now um, in January, when he has 18 months left on his contract, next summer he's only going to have a year left. He's going to be worth a lot a lot less. And so they tried to, to drum up interest around Europe and, and sell him. Um, and there was interest. Um, I mean, I think they've been on the record in saying that certainly the club talked to Arsenal, you know, 100%. Um, and, um, but not just Arsenal. I mean, they also spoke to Real Madrid. They spoke to Spurs. Not saying he was definitely going to Real Madrid or whatever. But these were clubs that, you know, could put a serious amount of money on the table. What the club didn't want, mm-hmm. you know, the club obviously wanted different bidders. And the club suspected that, which I think turned out to be true, is that Vlavic's agents had already made a deal with Juventus. They'd agreed terms with Juventus. They'd agreed their own commission with Juventus. Um, and so they wanted to do everything they could to steer him to Juventus. Ultimately, because the agents didn't want to talk to anybody else, and you know they were determined. Because it's also because supposedly, depending on who you believe, the commission that they were that Juventus paid them was was so high that you know Arsenal weren't going to pay that. You know, Arsenal were willing to pay a transfer fee potentially, but they weren't going to go and pay a gigantic commission. Um, ultimately, maybe it's true that they didn't talk to any, the, the player agent didn't talk to anybody, but the club certainly did. On the club field, did a lot of inquiries and there was a lot of interest. But ultimately, you know, if you want a player, you got to deal with a club and you have to deal with a player as well. And, you know, he's, he was only 21 years old at the time. His agents were pretty adamant that Juve was where he needed to be. And you know, they, they kind of forced a situation where Juventus were the only bidder. So if you are a reactionary social media, Arsenal fan, blogger, podcaster, whatever, and you took that comment from, from Vlaovic to mean that Arsenal was just kind of faking their interest in Vlaovic, that it never really existed, but they were trying to get us to, to accept that we were going after big players, but that we didn't sign anybody because we didn't get the players that we wanted. If you're if you're taking that narrative out of Lavage's comments, then you're wrong, right? Because in fact, we were interested in him to the point of talking to the club, maybe not to being able to get anywhere with the with the agent. Um, one hundred percent. That's what I was told. That doesn't mean you know maybe Arsenal's valuation was lower than. Then what Fiorentina wanted, it doesn't mean the deal was going to go through. But from from what I from what I was told, you know, they were happily talking to the club. But again, you know, we, we get so fixated on on transfer fees, where and we often overlook 
wages. And Arsenal fans, I think, with the recent experiences of William and Alba, <laughs> will be well aware of that. Um, you know, if he's asking for too much money, or and then you got to pay commission on top of that, whatever else, then maybe it wouldn't have made sense. But right. certainly, that's that's what I was told was that Arsenal were one of a, of a number of clubs who made inquiries for him and who, you know, would have been willing to to put down some serious money for him. But, you know, the so agents, ultimately it could have just been through the club, not the agent. Right. Well, the club, the, the, the guy had his heart set on one team and he was, well, no, I know, but like Arsenal could have reached out to the club, not the agent. So the agent says, well, we never talked to Arsenal or they weren't in our conversation. That doesn't mean that the two clubs, like well, well, that's, that's exactly what Gab's saying is that they yeah, did. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And remember, you you're supposed to go to the club first, right? right. And then, well, and right, because otherwise it's tampering and tapping up and, and, and whatever. It's in called. the real world, it doesn't always happen. But you know, ultimately, if if Arsenal, and again, when we say Arsenal, most likely it's not necessarily Arsenal directly going to the agent. That's why they have intermediaries or whatever. But you ring this guy up, and he's like, "No, no, I don't want to come to Arsenal." No, 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 no. He's got his heart set on Juve. What are you going to do? You know, you can't, you can't force him. And like I said, he's 21 years old. His agents are pretty well-established people. They're very powerful people in Serbia. And I don't think he ever viewed it as an option, which is why I think it didn't go anywhere. Yeah. Right. We have a picture of the intermediary from Arsenal that actually dealt with, uh, with Fiorentina on this. Um, and, um, and, and I mean, I, I'm just very disappointed in this guy that he couldn't get the, couldn't get the deal across the line. Uh, speaking of getting across the line, we're yeah, at the, I got to run and, Andy with the best question of the day, right at the end, uh, giving us the sound bite that we were, you know, that, that, that we so desperately wanted, uh, but, but valuable information, Andy, great to see you again. Yes. Good yeah. to see both of you boys again. I'm going to bounce, uh, take care and, uh, Make sure you actually wire Gabby the money this time around for saying all those nice things about you. Well, I have to. It's an advance payment for the next time. But, uh, but yeah, so, uh, so Andy, great to see you, Gabby. Yeah, talk to you guys soon. Thanks, guys. It's been a privilege. I'm ending the podcast right now. You don't have to leave early. Well, no, but I got to actually leave. He wants wants to be the guy that, like, like with 11 seconds left, they take him off so that the crowd can all give him a standing ovation. So, (laughs) all right, get out of here. I'll wait for you to leave. All right, see you guys. All right, bye. Jackass. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, we're going to end it here. Gab, thanks for joining us. Uh, thanks to everybody in the chat. It was great to see Jeff in here uh, uh, and, and get three out of the four, you know, big ASL reunion people together. And uh, and uh, and that's about it. Hope that you'll join us again when we do our 24-hour podcast right before the season starts. But I'll talk to you about that offline. Absolutely. Be all right, man. Take all care. right. Stick, stick around for a second, but we're going to end it here. Take care and come on, you gooners.